Yoga is, can often be uh, analogous to surfing uh, in, in many different uh, ways. And, you know, I found out when I, when I first learned how to surf that there's a lot of, if you want to be a good surfer, you have to learn a lot about how the ocean works. Like about high tides, low tides, you know, what kind of waves break on good on low tide and what kind of waves break good on high tide and, um, you know, what storms cause what kind of waves and, you know, where the stor storms are happening and, and when to, you know, some waves, you, you got to catch them a bit early and some a bit late. And, um, you know, sometimes a, a wave will break till a certain, when it gets over a certain size, it doesn't break properly at some spot. So you got to go to another spot and you got to know when to paddle, where to sit in the lineup. I mean, there's a lot of wave knowledge, of ocean knowledge that's needed in order to become a good surfer. A, a good surfer, he has, he has amazing de knowledge of how the waves work. If you talk to like someone like a Kelly Slater or a Mick Fanning or something, they'll blow your mind with how much they actually know about the ocean and how and 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 about waves and all that. Just the actual knowledge of it is is a huge part on, uh, about being a good surfer. And another important, I mean, it's, it seems it, it might seem like a, a obvious um, uh, one, but you know. Uh, a surfer, a good surfer, is, is one who, he understands that he's not in control of the wave. He's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't in any way uh, pretend that he, if you talk to like a Kelly Slater or a Mick Fanning or some of these guys, they know that, they know perfectly well what, that the wave is more powerful than them. They have to go along with what the wave is doing. That's why they build up so much wave knowledge is because they want to find out what the waves are doing so they can harmonize with that, right? They can flow in with that, with the will of the wave, so to speak, right? So uh, you will not find uh, one of these guys uh, sitting out in the lineup trying to, uh, trying to uh, sitting in a, in a, in a right-hand wave, trying to make it go left somehow, you know? They don't struggle against it. They they find out what it's doing, and they have a good time on it. They're, you know, they're they're not frustrated. In other words, you know, there's some surfers that might be very become very frustrated because waves are doing. Uh, they might sit there in the lineup being very angry that no waves are coming to them, right? Where you have the guys that are having a good time out there, that are having fun. They're the ones that have given up this idea that the wave is going to do what I want it to do. And they're simply out having a good time, uh, going along with what the wave wants to do and harmonizing themselves with that. You understand that? So, uh, you know, people have this idea that they are all powerful. That whatever they, uh, if they think in a certain way, then things are just going to happen the way I want it to. And they spend their whole life um, trying to get the world, the universe, whatever, to conform to what they want. And they love reading books like The Secret, where 
it's a whole book. I mean, I haven't read it, but I've known a little, I've heard a little bit about it, where the whole philosophy is is that you um, try to by meditating on what you want, you're going to somehow force the universe to get it to give it to you. If you're praying to universe to try to to try to um, for the universe to give you something, then you're not praying to an impersonal thing, are you? If you're if you're if you want something to give some someone some if you want someone something to give something to you and you're asking it for the thing, then uh, you're not really dealing with something that's impersonal, right? You're dealing with a person. You're dealing with someone who has control over those things and can give it to you or not give it to you. In other words, has a will, has decision-making abilities, right? <laughs> like, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't be like asking, uh, you know, the harmonium, for example, it's an impersonal thing here. I wouldn't be sitting here asking it for a thing because, for something, because I know it's impersonal, so it's, I know it's fruitless, pointless to ask, the harmonium for anything, right? Because it doesn't have a will, it doesn't have a consciousness, it doesn't have a life, it doesn't have decision-making abilities, right? So in this book, they, they speak about asking the universe. But the universe is an impersonal thing. So really, they're not asking the universe, right? They're asking God. God, please give me this. God, please give me that, right? They're speaking to a person, right? Only a crazy person would ask an impersonal object for something. So... Even though they may realize it, they may not realize it, but actually they're asking God. They're realizing that someone is bigger than them, and they're asking God, please give me a nice wife, please give me a million dollars, and so on. So, God may give a million dollars, He may not give a million dollars. But, um, the, the point is, is that uh, these people are, more often than not, very frustrated. Just like the surfer, you know, the surfer might be sitting in the, in the ocean, you know, you've you got the Kelly Slaters and the Nick Fannings and stuff, having fun surfing, you know, they, they know what the waves are doing and they harmonize themselves with that, right? Because they understand that I am not as powerful as the wave. I, I can't do what it, I can't make the wave do what I want it to do. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give up on that and I'm just going to have some fun here and go surfing and, and enjoy life. <laughs> I'm not going to just try to become try to imagine something that's not, you know, you know what I'm saying? You guys, you guys get me here? So, um, uh, there's two types of people, two, you can, you can divide uh, yoga practitioners into two, impersonalists and personalists. So the impersonalists, they are uh, trying to imagine themselves as the Supreme Lord. They think that I am, they, they want to imagine that there's nobody above me, that I am the Supreme, that um, yoga means to try to remember that I am God. This is what they do. This, this may sound like a shock to some of you, or may, maybe not, but actually this is, if you go to 80% or 90%, I don't know, something like that, of yoga retreats, deep in their teachings, you'll find, um, they, may, they won't say it outwardly, but actually that's what they're teaching, is that I am, I am God, you are God, we're all God. And yoga means to try to remember that you're God. Uh, so this is a very frustrating life. The people that are uh, 
trying to imagine that they're God, are faced every day with the reality that they're not. Through Not only through um, the scriptures, uh, not only through um, uh, actual yogis, actual, actual um, real spiritual masters, but also through daily experience. They find that uh, they always have to stop at the red light. Their bodies get old, even though they don't want them to get old. They have diseases, even though they don't want to get diseases. They, they can't control people around them. Even their own disciples uh, start getting other disciples and competing with them for followers. <laughs> or uh, um, so many different problems. Like they have to pay taxes. Like this one guy, he, he uh, one of these I am goddess, uh, he went to America. And of course in America, everybody loves to hear that they're God. So he had many, many followers in America. And... He, uh, and they called him Bhagavan. Bhagavan means the Supreme Personality of Godhead, God. They, they called him Bhagavan Rajneesh. And so, uh, Bhagavan means the one who's in control, the one who is the uh, above material nature, who material nature is working underneath. In other words, God doesn't, the uh, definition of God is all-powerful. One of the definitions or aspects of God is all-powerful. So, uh, in other words, if God doesn't want to, His body to get old, then His body doesn't get old, you see? If He doesn't want something to happen, it doesn't happen. And so, uh, this one fellow who they called Bhagavan Rajneesh, the Supreme, in other words, the Supreme God, Personality of Godhead Rajneesh, um, he was, uh, he had this little commune in, uh, I can't remember where, Colorado or somewhere like that, Montana or something, and they even like built. They even had like they 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 all just kind of took over this town and 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 they got into government and kicked everybody else out and they basically had their own little town, right? But Rajneesh he came into America on a false pretense from India. He came uh, on a visa for medical purposes, God needing medical attention. But anyway, he came for medicinal purposes or whatever, and uh, he. Uh, that's what that's what his pretense of his visa was, but they came to find out that that was just a falsity. That actually, he came because he wanted the worship of these followers, right? So, uh, two government men came to the area where he was at and said, "Look, your visa's canceled. You have to leave the country." And so they actually went and kicked him out of the. They actually and his followers were saying, "No, no, please don't kick him out. He's God. You don't want to kick God out of the country." And so, so, uh, but they did, you know, they, 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 they physically removed them and, and put them on a plane. And so, you know, I, I know the, the, you know, the U.S. Immigration Department is tough and powerful, but more powerful than God. God does not need a visa to enter into the United States. This is ludicrous, right? So, when, when I had this, this, uh, uh, idea that I am the Supreme Lord, life becomes very unharmonious. Uh, I live my life as the, by the philosophy that I am in control. God means the one who's in control. Yet I've, I see every day in my life that I have no control. I have to stop at the red lights. I have to pay taxes. My body has to get old. People do, every day people do things that I don't want 
them to do. <laughs> I have absolutely no control pretty much over anything, you know. Um, the weather, the weather doesn't cooperate, you know. The, um, so many different factors all around me always show me that I'm not God, you know. There's one, I usually give this example of the, this one um, fellow that went to my class. And I used to do a, week, a weekly class in Byron. And uh, this one, you know, Byron has a lot of gods that live in there. But anyway, this one particular, this one, this one particular God, he, he, um, you know, I was speaking on these ideas in my class and he, 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 he felt very, very uncomfortable. He said, what do you mean, what do you mean, there's no God above us, we are God. I, I, I said, oh, okay, um, so which one is it, me or is it you? Which one is God? He said, well, uh, actually, I am God, and everything is a figment of my, is my a figment of my imagination for my pastime. I came, I came to this world in order to enjoy, and you are all like a play for me. This is, you don't really exist. Um, you are uh, basically a figment of my imagination, right? So this is how they actually, this is their philosophy, that this is, I came here to enjoy, and this is just my pastime and my lila, and you are all just figments of my imagination, you don't really exist. And, uh, but of course, when you have two of them in a room, both thinking like this, <laughs> it, it becomes a problem, you know? So one's, one's saying, you're a figment of my imagination, and the other one's, no, you're a figment of my imagination. And you got like a hundred of these guys, all in a room together, you know, it's, it, um, it doesn't really work, you know. So anyway, uh, you know, it says in the, in the Bhagavad Gita that Krishna, that God knows uh, all the, um, everything about every living entity, past, present, and future, right? And this is there in the scriptures that this is one of the characteristics of God. So I said to him, I said, do you know about this? And he said, yes, okay. So I said, what am I going to say next, right? And he made up something. I said, no pink elephant <laughs> and I said how come you didn't know I was going to say that you know so anyway he started getting more and more upset with me and so I said look look man this class is really for people who want to learn if you want to go um, you know preach your philosophy then you can uh, rent your own hall and people will come or not come you know so you know uh, this class I'm sorry but it's you're interrupting <laughs> It's for people who want to learn, you know. So, um, anyway, the next day, I seen him hitchhiking. And this guy, he wasn't, a lot of these impersonalists, I am goddess, they get very, they're very kind of, they live in this world where they're trying to imagine themselves as the Supreme Lord, but everything is contradictory to that. Like everything that they experience in life, as I said, the traffic, the red lights, just people not doing what you want, and the weather, it's all not going according to what I want it to do, right? So, anyway, they have this mantra, actually they chant to make themselves, to try to imagine that they are, to, to just keep them in the remembrance, they have to try to keep remembering that I am God, right? So they have this mantra, Soham, 
And this is what they chant. Soham, Soham. Soham means I am that. I am that. I am basically I am everything that's around me. So anyway, this is what they do. This is the the this it's a type of like uh, mental masturbation, <laughs> trying to imagine uh, that you are some type of that you are something that you are not, and it's very it's a struggle, as I said, because it just doesn't work, right? So he's sitting there at the trying to get a ride, trying to hitchhike. God on the side of the road, trying to hitchhike, saying the mantra, soham, and people just passing by, passing by. So he's thinking like this: I am the person coming up. And I'm going to pull over for myself. This is what they do. This is the world that they live in. So um, he, try, he tries to imagine, oh, this is me. This is really, I'm going to pull over for myself. Car drives by. And then he tries to do it again. Car drives by. So I drove by him. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. I, the reason I know what is going on in his mind, because this is what this is, I know about their philosophy. And I know how, how you know, I, I spoke to the guy. And I can tell he's in this kind of meditative Thing when he's hitchhiking, right? So I went. I had to do get something at the hardware store. So I drove by, and then uh, I spent about five ten minutes in the hardware store and drove back. So it was about uh, maybe twenty minutes to half an hour. He's still there on the side of the road trying to get a ride. Nobody wants to pick him up. It's in, in, in Byron Bay. So. <laughs> no, I mean. This guy, he was, he was a heavy dude, like really dark, like really scary looking guy. And uh, anyway, so, so you can see that like if you try to, you try to have this type of philosophy uh, and then you try to apply it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in everyday life. You cannot, because you are not God, imagining that you are God is not going to help you. You'll just be like that guy who's not catching any waves. Um, sitting there angry, right? The best philosophy, the best, the best one is one that you can apply in your actual life and that works and harmonizes with actual reality, you see? So when I know that I, I am not God, I am actually uh, a part and parcel of God, a minute spark of God. My business is not trying to lord over the material world. My business is to... Um, Use what I have in my possession in the service of God. This is something that is applicable, and once applied, uh, brings peacefulness, harmony, uh, joy, uh, and other nice fruits into a person's heart. Actually, people are uh, very afraid of uh, servant of be of becoming a humble servant. They want to. We're in this world because. We uh, want to be number one. We want to be God. We want to be the one who everybody's worshiping. So uh, to try to get out of this consciousness and adopt the opposite consciousness of uh, being humble and being a humble servant uh, is very difficult. You know, People don't want to be the servant. Do people in this world aspire to be a servant? <laughs> they don't. They aspire to be the master, right? They, when, when somebody, in other words, uh, recently, not recently, but a few years ago, I was on a plane ride to Bali, and there was these people behind me talking about, I'm going to enjoy this part of Bali, I'm going to enjoy that, I'm going to enjoy this, I want to enjoy that food, I want to enjoy this, I'm going to have uh, 
uh, you know, I'm going to get massages from these people, I'm going to get these people to cook me food, and so on, right? Uh, and this is the common consciousness of people in, the, uh, in this world. Do you ever hear anybody in the plane, in the seats behind you saying, oh, I'm going to go to Bali, I'm going to serve this person, and then I'm going to go over there and I'm going to uh, give that person something, and then, you know, this is... It's it's much more common to find the other one, right? We want to be the one that's the one the one who's the one that everybody's looking up to, the one who everybody's serving. You see, and so yoga means uh, realizing that I am not the supreme. I am not God. Actually, my eternal identity is the servant of God. So therefore, I should be uh, with my time and energy and uh, my life. I should be using that in the service of the supreme Lord. And once I um, uh, start to uh, become fixed in this world, in this um, knowledge, then uh, in this reality, then I, uh, then I flourish, then I become happy. Um, so this is a very simple thing. It's not a very difficult thing to understand, but it's a, diff it's a difficult thing to, uh, it's difficult to change our consciousness, change our heart, uh, change our habits. Is difficult. That's why um, yoga is different than joining a religion. You know, join a religion is very easy. You you can go from Christian, just adopt a couple. You know, you do these rituals, and then and then you you, you oh, I'm I'm going to give up that. I'm going to become a Sikh. So I'm going to in Sikhs they you know they do all kinds of other rituals. Oh no, I don't like those rituals. I'm going to go become a Jew, and then got different other rituals. You know, but uh, yoga practice is not about just joining and picking some new rituals. It's about changing your consciousness, changing your, your mind. It does not matter if you call yourself a Jew or a Christian or a Hindu or whatever, uh, but uh, changing your heart and your mind from the uh, wanting to lord over the world to uh, becoming a humble servant is difficult. And this is what the yoga system is for, is to um, make it so that your heart and your mind can become changed. And... When your heart and your mind becomes changed, then you experience um, the uh, the harmony and the the wonder of it all. Just like Kelly Slater harmonizing himself with the wave, right? The yogi harmonizes himself with God's will, and everything is sweet. It's a wonderful ride, you know. But our our problem is that we're um, we have this this arrogant. Uh, consciousness of thinking we're somehow independent of God and we can do it ourselves and we don't need God and this and that. Um, so the, you know, through, through yoga practice, through meditation, a person starts to, uh, doesn't become a dependent. He, uh, he becomes aware that he is already independent. I mean, already dependent he becomes aware that he's already dependent it's not that you it's not that you you're trying to in a sense uh you're not trying to uh add on something to you that's not already part of you that's already there in you it's already there like uh as we described yesterday we're already dependent in so we all were, we're so dependent in so many ways. There's no question of any independence. Our bodies are dependent, you know, on God for to work. Everything 
everything works uh, because there's a governing principle. It's not that it's some kind of accident, it's all a fluke that hearts beat and signals get sent to brains and, and uh, lungs breathe and uh, children get reproduced. And it's, not, it's, not some, it's not because of some accident, it's because there's a governing principle. There's, there's somebody holding it together. Um, there's a, a verse I wanted to read from the Bhagavad Gita, where, but I could, can't... Um, where's my Bhagavad Gita? There's one here that I found, but there's another one I, I wanted to find, but I couldn't find. But I'm going to read you this any, anyway. Um, I am the source of all material... This is Krishna speaking here. I am the source of all material and spiritual worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who know this perfectly engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. So when, we, when, we're, when we're in the illusion that we're independent, that we are self-sufficient, then we don't, we don't have this attitude of feeling that we need to be connected with God. But when we have this understanding, when we come to an understanding that um, actually I am already completely dependent on God in every way. There's, there's in no way am I independent. Uh, then, um, we, then those people who have actually come to this realization, who know this perfectly, their activity then is to engage in the devotional service and worship the Lord with all their hearts. They're already, and it's described in another verse that I can't find, that Krishna describes that the living beings are everything everything in existence is supported by me like pearls are supported by a thread something along those lines like if you have pearls on a thread right if they're not if the thread isn't holding them together they all just fall into oblivion right but you have the thread holding it together so there's a governing principle the governing principle is god so uh everything we need all our hopes and dreams in this world, everything is dependent on God allowing it to happen. We are already completely uh, so dependent on God. So it's, you know, I'm not trying here to have you adopt something that you haven't already adopted. I'm just tr trying to help you see that that is already the case. Now, yoga means learning about it. Learning about this, how I am dependent. And then acting on that knowledge, you see? So, it's not like we're here uh, trying to um, have you adopt something that's not already an intrinsic part of who you are, you see? Uh, we're just trying to uh, help you see, that's all, you know? So that's what it's all about. Yoga is making you, is, is uncovering what is already there. Seeing who I am, uh, number one, that means uh, that I am not the body, I am the spirit soul. And number two is that I'm not the supreme spirit soul. I'm the dominated part and parcel of the supreme soul. And therefore, my natural function is not to lord over the material world because that's not who I am. I'm an infinitesimal spark of God. My business, therefore, is to be engaged in the loving service of the supreme Lord. Everybody's already engaged in service. We're always serving. There's a saying, everyone serves somebody. I think there's a song called that, isn't there? Have you heard a song? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everybody serves somebody. There's nobody that gets away with anything. 
In other, in other words, nobody gets away with being uh, in control without having to serve. The boss of a company, you think he's a big boss, he doesn't serve anybody, but he's, he has to serve his employees, right? He has to pay them, right? And what is a big company? A big company is a big servant machine. <laughs> they provide services for other people, goods or services, right? So nobody can get away from it. The husband serves the wife, the wife serves the husband, the husband and wife serve the kids, the kids serve the parents, the capitalist serves the state, the communist serves the state, the capitalist serves the state. So um, it, it is, it, we're already serving, everybody's already serving. But uh, when, we, when, we, uh, uh, when our knowledge of ourself becomes more, uh, when we gain greater knowledge of, our, of the self, of who we are, then we apply this servant attitude not uh, only to the part and parcels of God, but actually to the Supreme Lord directly. And when that happens, then the soul experiences uh, joy like never before. I gave the analogy before of like, um, if you have a plug, right? And you're trying to plug the plug into so many things like, uh, but nothing really fits. Sometimes you get a bit of a spark and sometimes not so, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes nothing. It's like trying to uh, uh, point our uh, desire to serve somebody in these different ways. I try to serve my wife, I try to serve my friends, my family, my neighbors, my country. And I get, from that, I get a certain amount of happiness from it. But when I take that plug of desiring to serve somebody and I place it onto the Supreme Lord, then, this, then it, it works. The, 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 the joy from that is, uh, cannot be compared to the joy of serving your country or serving your family. It is, is a, it is a, a unimaginable uh, experience. Uh, and it grows, it grows and grows. As more, uh, the more you engage in the practice of bhakti yoga, this, this feeling of uh, uh, happiness from devotional service to the Lord increases. In the beginning, it sounds terrible. Nobody wants to, it sounds like a chore. It sounds like a, um, something that, like, what is that all about? Like, I just want to, you know, go to, I just want to get a job and, 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 and have my family life. And, and uh, you know, that's what I want. And, and what, what now I have to serve this other person too? <laughs> so, um, you know, it sounds kind of like a, a big, uh, some, kind of some kind of chore that you don't want to do. And, and, uh, but as you progress, then your attraction to it increases. And when you hear of service to Krishna, it lights up your heart with excitement and you want to do it. And it's something that can never be taken away from you because there's always something that you can do. There's a disease called jaundice. Has anybody heard of jaundice? Jaundice, what happens when you have jaundice is that uh, you, you taste something that's sweet, but it, if you put sugar in your mouth, uh, then it tastes bitter. It, it screws with your taste buds, right? Jaundice does. And um, so as a person is becoming cured of jaundice, the, he knows he's becoming, cure, he's becoming cured because the, the, the candy starts to taste sweet. And as it starts to say sweet, he knows he's being cured of the disease. Yeah, so um, 
when we hear about devotional service to Krishna, we fucking cringe and like, oh man, this is like terrible, right? It's because we have this disease, <laughs> this disease of self-centeredness. Um, but as we chant the mantra, then we become cured of this disease. And the mantra, just like, uh, is like the, uh, yeah, it's the cure for this disease of self-centeredness. And a person, as he, he becomes uh, purified by the mantra, then he experiences more and more the sweet taste of uh, his natural relationship as a servant of God. You see? Whereas as the impersonalist, uh, I am goddess, he is just living in a more and more bitter world. <laughs> more and more uh, in this uh, feeling dissatisfaction from his uh, attempt at trying to imagine that he's God. It just doesn't work. So, is there any questions? Any thoughts, comments, anything? Um, I guess I was just wondering, like, um, you know, if you're taking up that devotional service approach, can you give some examples of, like, ordinary things that yeah. can be? Yeah, thank you, yeah. Um, well, for example, we're putting this thing on here, right? And so we've got, we've got Yassi cooking in the kitchen, right? She's not doing it for money. You know, she's not, we're not, we don't get any money from this. I mean, I think this time we're going to make a bit of a profit. Sometimes we make some loss, sometimes we make a bit of a profit, but it just goes back into advertising. You know, it's not like we're getting rich from this. We'd try to make it as cheap as possible so people can come. And, uh, you know, uh, so she's doing it. This is her service, you know. It's not she's not doing it for any monetary re reward, you know. Similarly, I'm speaking here. I'm not doing it uh, for anything other than this is my service to my to to God, my service to my spiritual master, and not that my spiritual master is God, but uh, this is how I link up with God because I'm the servant of my spiritual master, and he's a servant of his spiritual master, and he's a spirit. Of, he's a a servant of his spiritual master, and it goes all the way back to God. This is called parampara. So his desire is to give people Krishna, to give people a bhakti yoga, so they can be happy, they and they can um, be satisfied inside. So I'm doing that. Uh, I'm linking up with that and trying to help uh, as best as I can to try to give people Krishna. Try people give people uh, the name of Krishna, the holy names, and so they can experience the. Uh, the, the, so they can be happy, that's all, you see. And um, another example uh, would be um, like, well, I'm going to teach you guys in the next class something that everybody can do. Uh, it's called puja, which is like, a, it's a practical application of this understanding. Uh, and so it's... Uh, Anyway, I'm not going to give it away now, but it's, you're going to be here for the next class, so we'll, we'll, I'll teach you in the next class. It's something you can do. In other words, uh, offering, offering one's food to God. So you can cook food for yourself, um, and only for yourself, or you can do it with the consciousness of, of I'm doing this 
as an offering to God. And then I can teach you how to do that. And so when, you, when you're shopping for the food, it's devotional service. When you're cooking the food, it's devotional service. When you're working to get the money to buy the food, that's devotional service. You can, in this way, you can link up like that, you see? And when you have a spiritual master, then um, if you serve the spiritual master's mission, uh, then you're linking up with service to God. And there's many, 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 many ways to do that through video editing, through um, uh, writing, through... Uh, unlimited. Any, whatever you do, basically, you can do in the service of God. You have a job, right? Do you have a job? Or you're a mother, too. So, uh, you can be a mother for Krishna, or you can be a mother for your, yourself. In other words, you can, you can teach your kids about bhakti yoga, you see? So, in this way, your, even your activity of being a mother becomes devotional service. So, it's not... Uh, it's not really changing what you do, it's just changing who you do it for. You see? So, in other words, um, my goal is uh, serving Krishna, not having, um, not trying to lord over the world in some way. You see? So, uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, this is a system, what is karma yoga, bhakti yoga, that's what it's all about. Bhakti means, uh, it's the, the loose translation of bhakti could be said to be love and devotion. Devotion, meaning devote, <laughs> meaning, you know, uh, I do for somebody else, I, I act for somebody else. And this is why, this is the pinnacle of yoga. This is, the whole yoga system is meant to bring one to this, uh, to God consciousness. We're, the beginning of yoga, we are we are self-conscious. We are worried. We are our interest. Our interest is ourself. But the, at the end of yoga, we lose our self-interest, and our interest is God. So, um, bhakti bhakti means that's what that means is love and devotion to the supreme Lord. Uh, and this is the height, the pinnacle of yoga, and. Um, don't try to imagine what it's like because you cannot. But when you start to taste it, experience it, then you know there's no greater happiness, there's no greater joy. So, but there needs to be a system to uh, a method or a system to uh, purify my consciousness in order to get to that stage. So, this is what yoga is for it's for people who want to change their life, change their consciousness. Uh, and it's a system that you can apply very easily in your life and and uh, experience that change. You see, so it's uh, we cannot we cannot change ourselves. It's too material nature. Our conditioning is so strong, we cannot do it ourselves. But um, uh, by God's arrangement, there's there are systems in in place for those that are sincere in wanting to have more in their life than simply eating, sleeping, mating, defending, get, you know, going a, getting a job, going to school, getting old and dying, you know? There's, we can experience the full potential of the human form of life if we want to. And we're not, it's not like it's, we're just left to try to figure it out ourselves. There's, for those that want to know, they can know very easily how to do it.
And actually, um, there's God's arrangement. When somebody is sincere, sincerely wants to know, then He arranges it from inside and from outside. In other words, from within my heart, He tells me, this is true, this is real. And from outside, He arranges my life in such a way that I come into contact with His representative, that He can uh, show me how to uh, become God-conscious. Okay? Is that okay? Yeah? Um, is all, is Bhakti Yoga um, all in this, like, is all the devotion for, and, sorry, I'm getting tired. That's right. Um, devotion and service is for Krishna. Is Krishna the manifestation of God? And is, yeah. Like, that's. Yeah, well. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because Krishna is is described in the in the uh, like he's the original source of everything. Like the verse I just read, he's the original source. Everything stems from Krishna, and there's other incarnations of Krishna as well. Expansions of Krishna, like Rama, Balaram, um, Radha. Uh, so many. There's all these uh, Lord Chaitanya or Goranga expansions or or um, incarnations of God. But the original form of the Supreme Lord is known as Krishna. So, um, uh, there are devotees of Lord Ramachandra. There's devotees of Lord Nisringa. Um, but, uh, it's a, uh, devotees of Krishna are, uh, in other words, they're relating to God in in a relationship which is free from fear, awe, and reverence, it's a it's a relationship of uh, pure love. Just like you can have a relationship with a judge in a court, right? A judge has uh, different types of relationships with different people. Some people that are in the judge's courtroom are very afraid of the judge. And behave to the judge in a very respectful, awe and reverential manner. Sit down when he he comes into the room, and you know. Then you may be seated, and they sit down, and they 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 call him your honor and this and that. But that same person, he have he has other relationships with other people that are more intimate, like for example his wife, right? His wife doesn't stand up when he comes into the house and call him your honor, and right. The wife is actually has such a close relationship with him that he that she gets angry at him and calls him stupid. <laughs> so you, you know, you forgot to bring the bread home, you idiot. <laughs> Can you imagine the guy in the courtrooms calling the judge stupid? He go to prison, right? He can't say that to the judge. So you can have just like that. You can have very there's different varieties of relationships that you can have with God. So when those those people that relate to God as Krishna. Krishna is a very intimate name of God. Just like the, um, the, uh, the, judge, the judge's wife calls her husband like honey, right? It's a very intimate name. The, the, the guy in the court doesn't call the judge honey, right? He, he calls, it's your honor. It's a very respectful name, yeah? So uh, devotees of Krishna, uh, bhakti yoga is a... Um, development of a very sweet and intimate relationship with the Supreme Lord, you see? Not a, a, a relationship of awe and reverence. Although, 
there you can have relationships with God. You can develop. There's ways to develop relationships with God in a more awe and reverential type of way. Whether or not that's considered bhakti yoga, I'm not 100% sure. It may be. Um, but it's not... The, when we relate to Krishna, it's because we're in, attracted to His very intimate features. And as one progresses in... You cannot imagine this. You cannot just like the 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 the, the girl in the court who's getting sentenced cannot just um, bring this relationship on. It takes, you know, he she needs to uh, learn what the judge likes, what doesn't like. She needs to please the judge, and the judge becomes pleased with her, and then they become a little bit more intimate gradually over time. So that's the same. It's not like you can just go up to God and sit on his lap, you know, or, or play with him. You need to, this relationship of intimacy needs to be cultivated. And the bhakti yoga is this cultivation of an intimate relationship with the Supreme Lord. It's not that one can artificially um, uh, just decide, I'm going to, like, my relationship with God is one of great intimacy. No. Uh, first you need to learn different, you know, what God likes, what He doesn't like, act accordingly, and then this... <laughs> From you know gradually through following the practice, then um, a person's intimacy with God grows and his fear of God dissipates, and then the relationship becomes very intimate over time. Okay. All right. Is there any, any more questions? You got any more? Anybody else? If you ask a question, then everyone's going to get mad at you because dinner is ready or lunch is ready. <laughs>